to just a little passage of Scripture. It's in, um, and I'm in the New American Standard, Dave. It's in Acts chapter 17. And uh, I'm going to refer to two little chunks of Scripture. The first one's going to be 17 verses 1 through 4. And maybe Dave could put that on the board. Acts chapter 17 verses 1 through 4. Now, you should know that um, this portion of Scripture catches Paul and Silas, probably Timothy and Luke, and maybe a couple of other guys on a missionary trip. Okay, they don't live in Thessalonica. We're going to see them in Thessalonica here in this first little chunk of Scripture. They don't live in Thessalonica. They're visiting. And wherever Paul visits, you know what he does. He preaches. Christ. Christ crucified. Christ the only hope, the only sacrifice uh, for our sins. So uh, I'm going to read in verse 1, chapter 17 and verse 1. Now when they, that's Paul and Silas and their entourage of company, when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. And there was a synagogue of the Jews. Okay, hit the pause button there. Not you, Dave, but you know everybody else. Hit the pause button there. So a synagogue. So you know what it means when there's a synagogue? Because I can tell you if you don't know. It's, it's a Jewish church. But let me teach you just one thing about the Jewish church. You know, some of these towns back in these places, back in these times, didn't have a lot of Jewish families in these towns in that time. So not everybody got to have a synagogue. In order to have a synagogue, you had to have 10, sorry ladies, men, committed men, Jewish men, and then you could build yourself a synagogue and you could have yourself a rabbi, a teacher. If there were only nine, you couldn't have a synagogue. You had to have 10. So we know that there in Thessalonica, there were at least 10 godly Jewish men, and where there was a synagogue, there was a rabbi, and they would meet, and they would sit, by the way, not in rows facing forward, but they sat around the edges. And there was a chair of Moses, even though Moses never sat on it. So if this were the synagogue, and this is about how big it would be. I've been in a few uh, over there. Now, they were just ruins. So the walls were down, but just the foundation was left. It was about this size. And so they would have like two rows around all the edges. And then here in the middle, there was a big old seat, like a throne almost. And it was from the seat. By the way, when people in the Old Testament and in Jesus' day taught, they usually taught sitting down. They didn't teach standing up. That's just an aside. So there they were in the temple. Now this Saturday, Paul and Silas and his friends showed up at the synagogue. So now they're sitting over there, but probably listening. And, uh, you know, you don't, you, you don't want to be rude, so you listen. And, of course, if someone says, does anybody have anything that they'd like to share with a group? Well, then maybe you raise your hand, and then you get to go sit in the chair of Moses, and then you get to teach. Okay. So there was a synagogue of the Jews, verse 2. And according to Paul's custom... He went to them, and for three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them 
from the scriptures. Three weeks in a row, Paul attended church and he opened the scriptures. Now, by the way, there was no New Testament yet written. And so from just the Old Testament, Paul was reasoning with the Jews in that little synagogue in Thessalonica from the Old Testament. So get, get that idea. He would open the pages of Isaiah. He'd open the Psalmists, uh, the Psalms. He'd look at Genesis. And from these, kind of like we did in Sunday school this morning, we could see how the Old Testament pointed to Jesus, and he'd begin to point to Jesus using the Old Testament scriptures. Verse 3, when he opened the scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. The Lord, the Messiah, the one they are waiting for. You know, they're still waiting. Jews are still waiting, but that's too bad because he came. And Jesus is saying, uh, excuse me, Paul said, he has come. He came to Jerusalem just a year or two ago. He was here, and he was hanged on a, hung on a cross. Now, look closely at verse 4. <clears throat> Some of them were persuaded. Now, there's two key words I want you to see there that I'm going to play with when we look at our second chunk of Scripture. It is some of them. Were all of them persuaded? No, just some of them. And did they believe or were they persuaded? They, it says they were persuaded. And they joined with Paul and Silas along with a large number of God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. Okay, so what was Paul doing? He was reasoning, verse 2, from the scriptures, and he was explaining and giving proof or giving evidence, verse 3, that this was the Christ. And some of them were persuaded. Now jump down. Paul goes to it. Oh, well, let me tell you what happened there in Thessalonica. These <clears throat> Jews that didn't believe, they made life miserable for Paul. And they whipped up a crowd of opposition. Let me just teach you real quickly. Real quickly. This is not the sermon this morning, but this is real quick. <clears throat> when you're following Jesus, and I want Sister Margie to sit in judgment on this statement. When you're following Jesus, is there going to be opposition? There's going to be opposition. People are going to oppose you. Um, I'm going to have to have a sip. Yeah, thanks. <coughs> so... Um, just because you're doing what's right and just because you're uh, teaching Jesus doesn't mean there's not going to be any opposition. Indeed, it probably guarantees that there's going to be opposition. So they whipped up some opposition and they chased him out of town. I don't want to talk about that part of the story, but that's what happened. So Paul and Silas said, okay, and they left and they went to another town. This town was called Berea. And I want to do the same thing. I want to see... What happened in Berea? And the brothers from Thessalonica, verse 10, immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they got there, they went to the synagogue of the Jews. See, that's what Paul did. He went to church. Now, these people in Berea were more noble-minded 
than those in Thessalonica. For they received the word with great eagerness. Let's hit the pause button again right there. I want to talk about that for a second. What that means is when Paul was teaching, they were listening. But, I'm going to get ahead of myself for just a second. They weren't just listening and digesting and believing and all happy just because Paul said it. But they had an open mind and they were receiving what Paul was teaching with eagerness. Now look at the second half of verse 11. And every day they examined the scriptures to see whether the things Paul was talking about was so. Therefore, many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek uh, women and men. And then in, starting in verse 13, they also had opposition in Berea. See, there's going to be trouble when you're doing what's right. Uh, this is the way it was. When we planted our first church, we started to have a little bit of trouble. And a godly woman, I was at a restaurant with her, and I said, you know, we're starting to have trouble. And this is, what she, this is how she told it to me. She said, well, let me tell you, when the wagons are moving, the dogs are a-barking. In other words, if the wagon's just sitting there not moving, the dogs aren't barking. But once the wagon starts to move, the dogs start to bark. And that's what she taught me. And so uh, the wagon was a-moving here in Berea, and so the dogs started barking. The, the point I want us to see this morning in the message this morning comes in verse 11. So, Dave, if you could put chapter 17 and verse 11 up there, I want to read it. Now, these people in Berea were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with eagerness, and especially this is what I want to talk about, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things are so. This morning, I just want to spend a couple minutes, and only a couple minutes, to press on you the importance of studying the Word of God. And I want to start by saying, <clears throat> now more than ever, it's important to study the Word of God. I want to tell you that um, we are nearer to the culmination of time. We're nearer to the last days. We're nearer to the when this, part, when this world busts apart at the seams, we're nearer now than the world has ever been before. And it's not arguable. That's, you know, even, even if you don't believe it, it still has to be true because another day has passed. We're closer. And I believe we are very close. Uh, and the Bible teaches that in the end times, this is going to be something we see in a minute, there's going to be a whole lot of scriptural shenanigans going on. How many know already there's people preaching stuff they shouldn't be preaching. Listen, they were doing that in Paul's day. Paul would have to go and, and put out one fire after another. Someone would get a little bit of a truth and they'd teach nonsense, and Paul would have to go and straighten them out. Well, let me tell you something, friends. Nonsense is still being taught. They might, they might own a Bible. They might read a scripture but then they will twist it, and only way you will know better is if you can be like these Berean Christians were and examine the scriptures to see whether the things that are being taught are true. I invite you, I welcome you, I pray to God that you 
when your pastor, me, Cliff, teaches on a Sunday that you take these things and, and, and ponder them quietly in your heart and go home and examine in Scripture what's been said, particularly, you know, things have a certain ring to them. And when something doesn't have a good ring, you need to go home and start where I started. Now, I'm, I can only talk about me. I can't talk about Brother Joe preaching down the street. I'll talk about me. If something doesn't ring right, you take that thing home, and you could even ask Dave. We have these things on the, you could listen to it again. And I'm not ashamed of, of and, and by the way, I might could make a mistake either. I'm not God. I'm, I do my best to serve God. But that doesn't make me perfect. I try my hardest, but it doesn't make me perfect. Okay, but if it doesn't have a ring, you take it home and you say, now what did he say? And you reread the scripture again. And if we go somewhere else in the scripture, you reread that. And if you really have a heartburn about it, do you know what you do next? You call your neighbor and you start to gossip about me. No, that's not what you do next. You call up Pastor Cliff and you say, did I misunderstand you on Sunday because I thought you said blah, blah, blah. And yet when I study scriptures, I'm confused because the scriptures I say, see say uh, blah, blah, blee. And, and, and we get a chance to talk it through. And maybe you could be, oh, now I'm thinking about, um, I want to say, and I'm prepared for this. I'm unprepared for this, so I could be wrong here. But I think it was Barnabas when he was teaching in Corinth that Aquila and Priscilla, now some of you that are a little smarter about this than me might could know right away what it is, but I think he was a little off on something. Just a little bit, just a little slant. He was up teaching, doing his best. Barnabas was, good man. And it, the Bible says that Aquila and Priscilla said, uh, you know, Pastor Barnabas, <clears throat> why don't you come over to the house for dinner today? And, and they were eating their roast beef. And the Bible teaches that Aquila and Priscilla spoke into Barnabas' life and taught him a little bit better about the, the thing that he was talking about up front. So they didn't make a big stink in church. They took him home, and they loved on him a little, and they guided him into a more excellent uh, truth, okay? So it's possible to make mistakes. I want you to turn in your Bibles, and maybe Dave can go to 2 Timothy, and that's the only other book we're going to go to today is 2 Timothy. And by the way, in the New Testament, all the T's are in one clump, and the way God organized it for us is they're in alphabetical order. So that's good. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And look down at verse 15. Uh, before we read it, I want to remind you what this book of Timothy is all about. Timothy was not written by Timothy. It was written to Timothy from Paul. Here's the deal. Paul's like, and I'm making this up, but he's like 40 or 50 years old, and in those days, that's old. Life expectancy was not then what it is now. So Paul's clock is well ticked. And uh, Timothy is like his 20, 25-year-old little disciple. Paul realizes that when he passes off, that Timothy is going to take it and keep going. And so Paul writes two letters to young Timothy 
you know, encouraging them and saying, you know, Timothy, you got a good thing going, and, you know, but here's what you need to remember. So this is one of these little tidbits of truth that Paul writes to Timothy about. Uh, if you, is it as easy as mashing a button to hit King James? I think you can just hit the King James tab, because I like the first word in the King James better. I don't like the third word better, but I like the first word better. Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said, Timothy, regarding the word of God, verse 15, study it. Study it, Timothy, to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. I'm just going to come straight out and not put any frosting on this. It's just going to be cornbread truth for you, no frosting. You've got to study your Bible. Amen. I want to say it again. You've got to study your Bible. I'm going to brag on somebody, and I'm not doing it to brownie points or anything. I just, I'm so deeply encouraged that I've got to say something about it. So you may know that when we were on vacation, <clears throat> we spent a little time with Dave and Linda. You always get to know people a little more when you spend a week in a cabin with them, amen? You get to know what foods they like a little better, what their habits are a little better. And uh, so, um, and don't you know I was blessed to see Dave's big Bible down there and early in the morning he'd get up and make himself, I mean, before I got, put my feet on the, on the floor, he was up with his Dake's commentary Bible and his cup of coffee, just studying the Bible, just reading the Bible. And it blesses me. Friends, Paul told Timothy, study the Bible, so that you need not to be ashamed, a workman rightly dividing the word of truth. I say to each of us, make it a habit, do something, whatever you're going to do. We've we got these little things that we buy. If it's as simple as this, you know, these little God's word for today's, we buy them, there's enough for everybody to have one. You know, read it, read these little to-go with things, and, and, and try to wrap your brains around it. It's the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is sent here to help us understand it, but it, it's a marriage. We have to do our part. What is our part? Our part is to open our eyes, put them on the page, and, and, and read and engage our gray matter a little bit up here, and then the Holy Spirit's part is to massage that into, from, from our brain into our heart and, and to make us more like God's Son. But He can't do that if we're not feeding it into our brain First. So if it's something as simple as this, our quarterlies have little for further study, one for every day of the week. You can study uh, uh, you know, the, the same lesson that we had, but at a deeper level for each day of the week. Um, I want to remind us that we live in the end of times. And I, with, to, with that in mind, I want us to turn to 2 Timothy 3, verses 12 through 17. 2 Timothy 3, verses 12 through 17. So, and, and New American Standard's fine uh, there, Dave. Listen to what the Bible teaches. This is what Paul is writing to t young Timothy, saying, you know, here, here's what you've got to remember, Timothy. He says, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Hold on. Is this not what happened to him in Thessalonica in our first passage in, 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 in Acts 17? It is. He had to run for his life. 
Is this not what happened to him in Berea? We didn't read on, but it is. He had to run for his life. He teaches a good word, and then what happens? The enemy opposes him and, and wants to shut him down, and so he has to run for his life. And this is what he's teaching young Timothy. All who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted, but evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. Hit the pause button again. This is something that the liberal people in our world do not want to talk about. And that is the very real presence of evil. Let me teach you. Evil exists. And evil has to be countered. Uh, it's our duty as Christians to, to rise up against evil. It says that evil men will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And from the childhood, you've known the sacred writings, which give uh, wisdom that leads to salvation, which is through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The key there is all Scripture is inspired by God. Listen, if you have not stuck it, what I don't know real quick what to compare it to. All Scripture is inspired, but if you haven't put it in your heart, if it only remains over there on the shelf or on the coffee table, it's not doing you a whit of good, and you're not doing the kingdom a whit of good. It has to enter into your life, and it does so two primary ways. One, through your ears on a day like today where you're listening to a message or on the radio, you're tuning in to somebody on the radio, or it comes in through your eyes when you yourself Lay your eyes of flesh on the precious bread of life, the word of God. And then when it's in you, it's, it's good for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and so forth. Last verse I want us to look at this morning is 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4. Paul says to Timothy, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, Timothy, preach the word. Be ready to do that in season and out of season. Out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. Use great patience and instruction. Now please pay attention to the next two verses because I'm going to close with them. <clears throat> For the time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine. I want to repeat that. Paul said 2,000 years ago, a time's coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. Hmm, I could preach an hour on this. I'll do it in less than a minute. We're in that day. We're in the day right now where if... We're in the day right now that if you try to preach the hardcore truth and reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what the scripture says... And you, and you don't put this much frosting on top of how wonderful a person you are and how happy and how, you know, all the good times, you know, it, you're fighting enough, as a pastor, <clears throat> you're fighting an uphill battle. People want to be stroked today. They want to be told that what they're doing is okay. They want to be told that they're wonderful people. They, 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 
they don't want to hear the truth about sin, evil, and repentance. They want, in verse 3, they want to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers that will tell them what they want to hear. And they will turn away their ears from the truth and will uh, uh, instead turn aside to myths. How will we know? If we first study for ourselves. How will you know if what is spoken is the truth? If you study and you know the truth yourself. Amen. Let's, uh, let's pray about that, and then we're going to receive communion. Father God, thank you uh, for your word, and I pray, God, that you would put in each of us the understanding that we've got to study and grow in you. We thank you for your word. It's so precious that we have it. I think of Chinese people and probably other countries too. They just work on one page of the Bible because that's all they have. To whom much is given, much is expected. And, and we have the whole thing. Help us, O oh God, to be faithful, dividing your word. We could sh share it with people who are lost. This is the life ring that we can throw to people drowning in their sin. Help us, O oh God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.